Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. your host for Red Sea Roundup this morning. It's Tuesday, August the 8th, and it's a feast of St. Dominic, and it's also the feast of St. Mary MacKillop. And if we have a little time later, I will talk some about her. I have Dennis Maka in the studio with me today, and Dennis is going to tell us a little bit about some of the things that are going on with Red Sea Radio right now, including some things where we need your help. Good morning, Gene. How's it going today? I'm doing okay, thank you. Very nice. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm here to, to, to not necessarily beg and grovel, but to tell people about the situation that things are going on in the uh, Waco and in the Bryan College Station area, for that matter. Yesterday was one for the record books, as I say. <laughs> we, we had quite a technical day yesterday, I, I will tell you, because we had two different power outages here in our, uh, at our tower site here in the Bryan College Station area. And yesterday in Waco, we had a receiver go down, and we still have to align that satellite dish tomorrow uh, because of some storms, I assume. Um, that's not a typical, but uh, something happened there. We had a, a volunteer go out to the site, and we do have con- confirmation that that satellite dish is not working. Uh, the receiver is not connecting, and we also have a transmitter that's down. So you're listening to us in Waco right now on a borrowed transmitter from a different station. It's actually at a lower power than than what we're authorized to do. But uh, as I was telling you before the show, we have filed an STA with the FCC. Of course, everyone knows what that means. St. Thomas Aquinas. <laughs> no, it's a special temporary authority to give us permission to broadcast at a slightly lower power because we don't have a transmitter that uh, that's our own in Waco right now. So pray for us, first of all, all of, the, all of you who are listening. Uh, our old transmitter in Waco that we purchased, it was not a brand new transmitter when we bought the station. So we knew that it had some time uh, to go, but we didn't expect it to die this soon. And it has. So what does that do to the Red Sea budget? Uh, it does put a dent into it significantly. And so we actually are trying to raise that money. So those of you that are listening in Waco right now, we ask your uh, graciousness to uh, give some extra donations to Red Sea Catholic Radio right now. We are trying to raise $15,000 to buy that transmitter. So we are going to be on that special transmitting authority, temporary authority uh, to the FCC uh, until we get that transmitter fixed, uh, we want that we want that to be fixed as soon as possible. Now, uh, actually, replaced. Actually, not fixed. So, uh, are you able to buy the transmitter before you get to the fifteen thousand dollars, or what? We're working on uh, getting as much donations as we can. We're looking on some side financing as well. So, it's not something we have the money for right now. I will be very honest. We don't have it. We've taken some leaps of faith to give you Red Sea Catholic Radio in the Central Texas area, and we're always in need of monthly givers uh, for our operating budget. But this is beyond, above and beyond our operating budget. This is our kind of our emergency funds, which we've, um, you know, we kind of drained in helping to build the station. So, 
yeah, $15,000. If you have it in Waco, we would love to uh, talk to you. So give me a call. I'll give you my cell phone number at 979-255-2633 and give me a call about any arrangements that we can make. And we are trying to raise that money right now. You'll hear more about that in the Waco area only. In the near future, we'll be recording some spots to uh, to talk about that. And so, yeah, in your graciousness, first pray for us that we can overcome these technical challenges that are are thrown our way, which is very common for for Catholic radio, as a matter of fact, from what I hear. And uh, we're also looking for those donations as well. What that really means is that Red Sea Radio is doing some good work, and there is an enemy of God that's trying to uh, put a stop to it. <laughs> there, there were a lot of coincidences that, that happened all at the same time. When lightning strikes in one area and 25 miles away, your tower site goes down because of a power outage. It's there's some some trickery going on, so we're not falling for it. It was a long day, but we offer that up, and we uh, are grateful to uh, serve in however capacity God wants us to serve. But uh, yeah, I I do feel that it is some spiritual battle. So first and foremost, pray. Secondly, uh, if you have some means to give any amount uh, towards that fifteen thousand dollars for our new transmitter, we're ready to order that as soon as we possibly can, and it will take a few weeks for it to come in. Okay, so the, the the net result of this is in the Waco area, some people who might want to be listening to Red Sea Radio will not be able to do so because the signal won't reach as far. Right, especially around the edges of our signal um, toward the north and south. It has pretty much dropped toward the edges of the signal, especially inside a house. You may be able to pick it up with some static and interference in a car. Uh, but yeah, it, it has weakened our signal Um we're about two-thirds power right now. But once again, we're only at two-thirds power because we've borrowed a transmitter from another station. So it's not even our transmitter, folks. So keep us in your prayers. And, uh, you know, as we travel back and forth to make those repairs and replacements on the uh, satellite dish and the receiver and the transmitter. Palestine, right now, you're floating. You're doing pretty well. Praise be to God. And we're excited to talk to Deacon Marty Flynn here in just a little bit who is uh, the deacon there at Sacred Heart in Palestine. And uh, we, we, do you mind if I talk about no, the uh, benefit fine. dinner too? Yes, go ahead. Because it is a great opportunity for those that are in the Brazos Valley and those that are in Palestine and Waco, you're welcome to come in. It's only you know two-hour or less drive to see Deacon Harold Burke Sivers at our annual, it's our sixth annual Red Sea Catholic Radio benefit dinner in the Brazos Valley. That's going to be on October 19th. This year from 6.30 is when the doors open to 9 p.m. We're going to have a great talk about um, Mary being mother of the domestic church. And our talk is going to be about uh, how Mary supports our primary mission as educators of the, our children and how the rosary can be a great tool for that in our evangelization of our own family. So Deacon Harold Burke Sivers is is a hard one to get. As a matter of fact, we had to book him way in advance, and he speaks all over the world. Um, and you've seen him uh, on EWTN. If you want to know who he looks like, what he looks like, you can go to our website at Red Sea Catholic Radio and uh, RedSeaRadio.org. That is, and click on his face as it pops up on the home screen, and you'll be able to read all about our benefit dinner. We've got a number of table de- uh, reservations already reserved, and you can find that on our website as well. And you can order individual tickets if you aren't able to get a table. But we are very excited about having Deacon Harold Burke Sivers in on October 19th. October 19th. Another thing that can happen on that website for those people 
who knows someone who's on the fringes there in Waco that can't hear, or you've got a friend or a family member that you've told about Red Sea Radio, you can go to redsearadio.org and kick, click, click, not kick, click on the Listen Now button, and uh, you will be able to receive everything that's going on right now via your computer or phone. Yeah, indeed. We have streaming coming out of two different markets, and so... Yeah, you're able to listen to our programming anywhere and everywhere you can get an internet or cell phone signal. So it's it's a pretty great thing. And for our locally produced programs, usually within a day or so of like today or whatever, you can listen to today's program again online or download it from that same website if you go down to the place where it talks about Red Sea Roundup mm-hmm. and Mystery of Parenthood. Yeah, soon thereafter we will have the podcast up, and we do a, an encore broadcast on Saturday mornings of this show, as well as the Mystery of Parenthood at 8, Mystery of Parenthood, and Red Sea Radio, Red Sea Roundup at 9, 9 a.m. Okay, now I'd like to invite uh, our listeners uh Sometimes I, I kind of struggle to get a, a guest. I didn't today. It was really a very easy choice. But if you have some suggestions for guests or you have some comments about the program, particularly when I uh, am the host, I would invite you to email me at – and the email address is gene, that's G-E-N-E, at redcradio.org. Uh, gene at redcradio.org. And it's red than the letter C. <clears throat> Excuse me, red, red than the letter C, radio.org. Excuse me. It's fine. The other thing uh, I would like to say is that I really appreciate our listeners, and uh, if you have some comments or you, we'd like to ask a question, uh, later when uh, Deacon Marty Flynn is here, our radio, Red Sea Radio phone number is 85-LOVE-RED-C. That's 855-683-7332. Now, I'm going to talk a few minutes here about the, the, the saints of the day. Everybody knows about St. Dominic, but not a lot of people know about uh, St. Mary McCullop. Uh, St. Mary is the first, or, uh, first canonized Australian to become a saint. Her parents were from Scotland, and she was raised in Australia, and she felt a call from God. And eventually, she, during this process— in her 20s, she founded a religious order there in Australia, which is known as the Sisters of St. Francis of the Sacred Heart. And uh, their nickname in Australia at this time was the Brown Joeys. The Brown Joeys? Yes. I guess Joey as in a baby kangaroo. Correct. So, And what their primary ministry was at this time was to uh, provide education for the poor children of Australia. But uh, as with, oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I bet they were a very joyful <laughs> oh, order. That sounds like something I would say. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Please, yeah, Gene and I will get started. We will stop it right there. Yes, we will. <laughs> <laughs> but her life was not as smooth as what you think. Sometimes we think when uh, we answer God's call in our lives that everything is just going to go smooth as glass. And that's not really the case, and we will see that in this Sunday's gospel reading. It's the parable of Jesus walking on the water. Uh, Jesus had just finished uh, feeding 5,000, and he sent the apostles off to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee while he went up to pray. Jesus knew that he needed some time with his Father to recover from all the ministering that he'd been doing. 
and the apostles got somewhere out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee there, and a big storm came up. And my understanding from those folks that have been there or that know anything about the Sea of Galilee know that, knows that the storms are just out, absolutely outrageous. And uh, so the apostles were being obedient to what Jesus told them to do, but they encountered this storm. And as you remember the story, Jesus walked on the water to come to them, and they were frightened because they thought it, they didn't recognize him as Jesus. And, of course, Peter in his brilliance says, let me walk on the water with you, and then he takes his eyes off of Jesus and starts to sink, and Jesus rescues him. But the key there is that as soon as Jesus got in the boat, the storm uh, subsided, and the sea became calm. And this was the second time that the sea came calm when Jesus took command of the storm. So that means we need to let Jesus into our boat. You bet you. And, and it, it's really key that we understand that just because you're doing God's will doesn't mean that you're not going to have storms and, and all kinds of problems in your life, particularly with your ministry. I think Gene's preaching to me right at this moment. <laughs> well, uh, St. Mary uh, had this type of an issue in that uh, when she had founded the order, and then eventually she had all kinds of objections from various people uh, in the church, uh, the uh, clergy and the hierarchy in the church in Australia, to what she was doing. Uh, they wanted to come in and, and take over. And it got so bad that eventually uh, the local bishop decided to rewrite the uh, constitution of this religious order although I think it had been approved in a different fashion from the Vatican. And uh, she didn't just say, oh, that's just wonderful. I'm so glad you came in and decided what was better for the nuns than I did and what I heard God tell me. And she was excommunicated for that for a couple of years. So not only that, she prior to that, she had uh, lost control. She was, it was taken away. Uh, she was not allowed to be the superior. And uh, during the excommunication, she was told that she was not allowed to have any contact with anybody in the church. So she, she really didn't have any place to stay, so she stayed with the Jewish family for the two years she was excommunicated. But uh, after the two years, she, uh, uh, she was restored to the church, and she was restored to the community of the Sisters of St. Francis of the Sacred Heart. And her, sister, her story is not very uh, a unique. If you look at the founders of the Little Sisters of the Poor, uh, Jean Jungen, she experienced some things very similar to this in that uh, the priest that was supposed to be their uh, uh, spiritual director or whatever it would be was called uh, turned against Jean, although they had been very close at one time, and she lost uh, control of that order also, and she was made to do basically very menial work rather than to lead the order. And so we should not be surprised if we are responding to God that we we experience some things that just aren't quite what we would like. Uh, you know, uh, Jesus, Jesus says, if if anyone would follow me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me, because Jesus didn't have it easy either. And uh, uh, if you look at all the opposition Jesus had, he had opposition to the very end of his life, and so it, it, it happens that way. 
Very, very interesting words for all of us to live by, that we all have some storms coming and we all have challenges that come our way. We just have to uh, trust God, let him in our boat. Let him in the boat and let him decide when when the storm is going to be calmed. And the, the key thing there, if you look at the gospel, that one of the key things that, that we need to do that the apostles had difficulty with is recognizing Jesus in, in the storms of our life. And that's very key, and, and uh, St. Mary did that, uh, St. Jean did that, and we just are called to do that as well. Very, very good. Good words to live by. And those, those of you t- to take take it back to what we were saying is, you know, help uh, help us put Jesus in the boat by uh, helping us out in our stormy situation of our transmitter being down in Waco. So, um, you know, we're not panicked. We know God will provide, and uh, through our wonderful listeners, God is is often providing through our listeners. So, With- we thank you in advance for your generosity. Thank God for His help. With that, Dennis, why don't we take a break, and we'll be back with Deacon Marty Flynn in just a couple of minutes. Welcome back to Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Gene Wilhelm, and I have Dennis Maka with me here in the studio today. And I have on the phone with us today Deacon Marty Flynn from Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Palestine, Texas. And Marty has a very interesting story to tell. And Marty is one of the people who can talk a little bit about facing the storms of life when he's trying to get where Jesus wants him to be. Good morning, Marty. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How about yourself, Gene? Doing just fine. Uh, good, you, good. You, you, we talked a little bit a couple of weeks ago about uh, what we were going to talk about today, and and I have to say that your story is really pretty amazing. Uh, would you like? Could you begin a little bit with your early life and and uh, uh, where you were born and where your education was and and some of that? Sure, sure. Um, I was born uh, in New Haven, Connecticut, although I don't really ever remember living there. We moved around quite a bit until I was in um, third grade. And then in third grade, uh, we wound up in St. Paul, Minnesota. And uh, I stayed in St. Paul, Minnesota until I was mm, 19 years old. So from third grade to 19. So when people ask me, where did you grow up? I say St. Paul. And uh then uh, came down and finished my uh, uh, educational studies down in Texas and, uh, and have been here ever since. So, so I've been in Texas now ooh, 33 years, I guess. Mm. So, uh, so since I was 20. So, yeah, I'm 53, and that makes 20. So that's right. Yeah. Well, uh, there's a little bit of difference between the winters in St. Paul than the winters in Texas. They are, they are, and, and what I found was for the very first winter when I was down here, I thought, man, this is great, and then the next winter, as soon as it started to, got, to get a little chilly, I was as cold as everybody else. <laughs> uh, it took about one, one year for my, uh, my blood to thin and to become acclimated to nice winters instead of cold winters. Where did you go to school, uh, Marty? Um, college? I, uh, 
Well, I went to college. I went to two years to the uh, College of St. Thomas in St. Paul, Minnesota, a Catholic uh, college up there. And it's now a very University. Catholic college. It's, yes, yep. And then, uh, then I transferred down uh, for my final two years of undergrad. I went down to uh, UT Austin, and I graduated from there. And then I taught high school in Midlothian, Texas, know for what that three is. years. And then after, uh, after high school, after teaching for three years, I went to Baylor Dental School, which was in downtown Dallas. And it's actually, it was called Baylor because it was started by Baylor, but it was actually owned by the state of Texas. Uh, now it's actually part of the A&M system, which I know will make all the Aggies happy. So, um, and uh, then I graduated from there and uh, wound up moving to Houston for a little while and then came to Palestine to, uh, to practice as a dentist. That's interesting. What made you choose to become a dentist after you taught for that uh, several years? I have a brother-in-law who is a dentist, and um, I, it was one of those things where when I was younger, um, I had always thought about, uh, you know, you just have dreams, and I thought, well, maybe I'll be a doctor someday and whatnot. And I had done quite a bit of volunteering in a hospital up in Minnesota and had spent time working in different departments of the hospital. So uh, even though I was teaching and I enjoyed teaching, I kind of always had this nagging uh, at the back of my mind about uh, what about, what about you know, the health field. And so that's what led me to, uh, to dentistry. And how did you end up in Palestine? There's a big well, difference between Houston and Palestine. After graduation, um, I, well, my, I got married. Uh, I met my wife uh, my senior in high school, and so we dated throughout uh, our time in college. And for two of those years, we were close to each other. But for two of those years, she was in Minnesota and I was in Texas. And so that was an interesting um, opportunity for growth in a relationship. And uh, so after we... Uh, after college, we had actually planned on going into the Peace Corps, and uh, we had uh, gone through all of the uh, steps to do that until the very final step, and we ran into a hurdle. And um, anyway, so it wound up, uh, I was graduating in a week, and or uh, excuse me, I had actually graduated. I was getting married in a month, and I didn't have my future planned out very well. So I was Blessed by God to run into a gentleman by the name of Dr. Don Beach from Tarleton State University, and uh, he got me into alternative certification, so that's how I got into teaching. And uh, then teaching led to dentistry, and then when I got out of, dentist, got out of dental school, uh, I was married, and uh, we had a, a little one-year-old baby, and we went to Houston, which is where my sister and brother-in-law are. But then after being there, we both kind of felt the, the I guess, the draw to a, a less cosmopolitan area, a less uh, urban area. So we started looking around, and there was a practice for sale in Palestine, and we had never been to Palestine. We had never heard of Palestine, but we drove up, took a look at it, and fell in love with it. So, and it's been a, we've been greatly blessed since we've been here in, in many, many different ways. So you, you and your wife met in high school, and you had two years of... Um a close relationship in college and then two years where it was basically by phone and spring and winter break and all that sort of thing. Exactly. Exactly. And, and it's funny because now when you talk to kids, they think, well, you know, you were on the phone because they think cell phones, you can call long distance, no problem at all. But that wasn't the case back then. Long distance phone calls were a big deal. (laughs) And they cost money. Most of them. Exactly. Yes. Yes. 
So, so you got married, and you have how many children now? Um, we have four children. Uh, okay. The oldest two are girls, and then a 25-year-old daughter who teaches math up in Dallas, and a 22-year-old daughter who's here in Palestine working at an accounting company. And then uh, I have a 15-year-old son who's going to going into ninth grade, and a 10-year-old son who's going into fifth grade. So you've had a little bit of both, so you, you know the challenges of both girls and boys. Yes, yes. <laughs> he says. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and, and we're hoping that, uh, you know, we were, uh, we're a little bit older. It's 53 with a 10-year-old, but um, you know what? It, it helps keep, keep us young. I'm sure that there are plenty of soccer games or football games or baseball or whatever it is. To um... Yes, yes, very true, very true. How uh, you're very active in the church now, Marty. Has that always been the case with you, or was there an event in your life that uh, made that um, the church and relationship with Jesus Christ more prominent in your life? Um, I was born a, a cradle Catholic, and um, we. Uh, it was one of the things, honestly, it was kind of funny, as a, as a cradle Catholic, as some cradle Catholics, you, you kind of, uh, oh, familiarity breeds contempt. Mm-hmm. You know, you just take it for granted. And uh, that was one of the things that my wife, when we started dating, even in high school, she was impressed by the, the faith in our family. And it, and it was one of those, like, hmm, yeah, we do have pretty good faith. You know, we went to Mass every, every uh, weekend. Um, but it, and I went to Catholic high school for, for three years, went to Catholic college for two years. But at that point in my life, and, and for most of my life, I guess, um, Catholicism, my faith, was something that I kind of did. Um, it wasn't necessarily who I really was. It didn't affect my—I um, didn't allow it to affect my, my life as much as I could have and should have. Um, and so— uh, yeah, and then um, I was in I was in Palestine, and um, I uh, acquired a dental practice, and it was very interesting. Um, while uh, on the very first day that I was there, the 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 previous dentist was leaving, and I was coming into the practice, and uh, he asked me, you know, where do you go to church? And I told him I was Catholic, and he said, oh, okay. And then then he said, uh, we have a, a a priest and a nun who are patients of ours and uh, you'll get to meet them. And I thought, well, great, that'll be fun. And so, um, uh, lo and behold, a couple of months later, they came in for their cleaning, and Father Dennis and uh, Sister Mary have been a tremendous, tremendous blessing in my spiritual life and in my life, because as, as hopefully people know, your, how your spiritual life is doing affects your life in totality. And so Father Dennis and Sister Mary are, are both hermits, and uh, it, is, um, it is fascinating to, to, to speak with them and to learn from them um, on uh, their relationship with God and, and uh, what, has, what God has done and fulfills for them, and it has inspired me immensely. Although I have to admit, when they left the office, the dental office, after their first appointment, I can remember going in and calling my dad and saying, okay, hermit priest, is that a real thing? I've never heard of a hermit priest before. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, yes, uh, Father Dennis lives out on a piece of property that at one time had 20 to 25 
uh, hermits living on it. It's a 300-acre piece of property. He lived in a tent for the first eight years of his time out there. They dug their own water well. Um, it was several priests and several brothers. And uh, then as time goes along, they, they uh, died off or ran out of money, finan- uh, finances, ran into financial trouble because, again, they have to support themselves. And uh, at this point in time, uh, there is only Father Dennis now still on that property. But um, at different times, there was a professor who retired from uh, Notre Dame who came down and uh, lived out on the property with Father Dennis as a hermit for a period of time. But it's a very difficult life I, I'm because everything that you and I and everyone else gets from friends and family and coworkers and all of that kind of stuff, the, the hermit uh, gets all of that from God. And so um, it's, uh, it's not made for everyone. The, the, the professor from uh, Notre Dame gave it a try for about six months and said, I think God wants me to do something else. I understand that. Even, yeah. even though we have all these other supports, there are times when uh, we have, find it difficult to depend on God for the things that others can't give us. Right. Very true. Very true. And, and living the, the hermit lifestyle brings that into very sharp focus. Were you and your family active in Sacred Heart uh, from the very beginning when you moved to Palestine? Um, we attended. We attended regularly. Um, no, but we, we really weren't, um, you know, we, we attended Mass, and, and that's about it. Um, so what you, you're basically a typical um, Catholic. In a way, yes. <laughs> in a way, yes. Kind of. Kind of, and I don't want to say this, you know, we had our children baptized, we were married in the church, um, but, but so much was, was hidden in plain sight. We had eyes but could not see and ears and could not hear. Um, but we did attend, and that keeps us in the, you know, and that's, that's a good thing. I mean, to not, I don't want to uh, 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 berate being a, a, an attending, someone who attends Mass, because it keeps you in the area. It keeps you in the the the, past, the right pasture, put it that way, and uh, you're more likely to run into good stuff um, coming coming weekly than you are if you uh, just show up, you know, willy nilly type thing. So there was an event that happened in your life that changed yes. you from say, let's say, slightly warmer than lukewarm to uh, on fire. Yes. Um, and, and honestly, part of that, that entire journey was, was the growth in the relationship with Father Dennis and Sister Mary. Um, they took myself, my wife, and my family under their wing and, and to this day um, send us reading material. We go out there maybe once a month and have Mass with them and, and have a, a beautiful spiritual conversation for a couple of three hours afterwards and a, and a meal, and it, it's, it's absolutely delightful. But that started it all, and then um, then I had an event in my life. Um, I has uh, I was practicing dentistry in Palestine, and I came home on a Friday afternoon and decided it would be a good idea to clean my gutters, and so I did. I got out my extension ladder and I went along and cleaned out my gutters. And when I was all done, I was happy that I had finished the job. But I looked up at the roof, and the roof of my house was completely covered in pine needles. So I thought, well, okay, the gutters are clean for maybe a week, and I'm going to have to do this again. So I thought, I'm going to get up on my roof with my rake, and I'm going to rake my roof. 
And I did. I'm not saying I'm not recommending this, but I did break my roof, and it worked great. The problem was when I came to step, step off of my roof onto my ladder, <clears throat> my feet were about 10 feet off the ground, and my ladder um, twisted almost like a spiral staircase as I, as I stepped onto it. And I fell, and as I fell, I put out my left arm, and I guess in falling, I, you know, just reaction, I locked my left arm as I fell, and when I landed, I landed on the palm of my left hand, and it wound up shattering my left elbow and um, also dislocating my left elbow, an, uh, an extreme dislocation, about three inches. Mm. Um, so... Uh, I was laying on my back deck. I was home alone, which wasn't very smart. And um, my wife was pregnant with uh, our oldest son. And I knew I was hurt. I had broken a couple of bones in high school. And I honestly thought I had broken my neck or my back. I, and, and so I'm laying on my back deck. And I had a very, very serious conversation with God. And while I was having that conversation, I also felt very, very oh, hypocritical because this was, this was my moment of, of where it all goes from uh, uh, theologic or, uh, theoretical to uh, the rubber meets the road. And so I, I said, God, please let me be able to move my feet, and I could, and I thanked God for that. And then I said, God, please let me be able to move my, my hands, and I could. And, and I was like, thank you, God. I don't know exactly what's wrong, but thank you. I'm, I'm not paralyzed. And so I was able to uh, get up and uh, uh, went inside, and on my way inside, I guess, uh, uh, what do they call that, uh, you're in shock to a certain extent. And so I got into my kitchen, and I fainted, um, and then I got out a bucket of cold water. I was going to soak my elbow, and then I thought, hmm, maybe this is something more than a good ice soaking needs. So I wound up going to the doctor. Um, they, uh, they were able to get the dislocation back in place. The bones were fairly close to each other. So, uh, uh, I was in a, a cast for a short period of time. Then after that, um, we took the cast off and I started to try to use my elbow because of the dislocation. It can cause a lot of problems, um, with scar tissue. Well, it wound up breaking again. The bone broke again, and then uh, then I was sent down to a doctor in Houston, who put me in a uh, a splint for about four or five months, I think. I, I forget by now, um, where it would try to straighten my arm and twist my arm to keep the range of motion working, and then uh, it looked like everything was doing well. Looked like the bone was healing, everything was going well, and then on went back to the first, very first day of physical therapy, my arm broke again. So that was the end of dentistry. And um, I then had a choice of, okay, what am I going to do? And, and I had taught school, and I thought about that. And then I thought, you know, I remembered very vividly laying on my back deck, feeling very hypocritical, begging God to please help me. And I thought, you know, maybe I should, uh, maybe I should try to, uh, to be a better, uh, a better sheep in the, in the, in the flock. And so that is kind of what led me in the, into this uh, journey that I'm at, still on right now. It must have been very difficult on you uh, when you were dealing with this arm because you couldn't be a dentist at that time, could you? No, I could not. And, and um, it was funny. Um, 
if I hadn't if I hadn't met Father Dennis and Sister Mary before all of this, I, I you know me losing my ability to do dentistry and having to sell my practice would have been uh, possibly unbearable. Uh, very, very likely it could have led to, you know, major problems in my life. It was still very difficult, but because of the journey that they helped get me on and, and kind of, you know, and so, you know, God working in mysterious ways, right? You know, for two or three years before I fell, I had, uh, Father Dennis and Sister Mary had kind of taken me under their wing and, um, I, uh, then when this happened, I had some, I had uh, a God that I could, that I knew I could uh, rely on, I could lean on, and uh, and that helped my wife and I immensely. And and uh, and and it has turned out to be. It was funny. We ran into a priest shortly after, maybe a year after this happened, and the priest said, "Oh, what a blessing!" And my wife and I were looking at each other and thinking, "Oh, this guy is out to lunch. He has no idea what he's talking about." But in reality, it has been a tremendous blessing. So um, God has, has used this like, uh, like he will use everything. Not that he caused it, but that he will use the good, the bad, and the ugly to try to bring about uh, the kingdom of heaven for all of us. So uh, it's, been a, it's been a tremendous blessing. How long were you able to practice dentistry before you had to give it up? Uh, Twelve years. It must have been a, a pretty big disappointment to, uh, to see that dream you had for your life die. It was. It was. It was difficult. Um, uh, but, but as I said, honestly, uh, a lot of it was um, this, for me, this newfound journey uh, of being with God and growing closer to God. And, and, and so um, if I had, if it, if it had been the Marty Flynn that uh, first came to Palestine, and this had happened right away before, before I, I had kind of Oh, re- I guess really started to set roots into my faith. Um, I w- it would have it would have rocked me much more than it did. Now, Marty, a lot of people when something like this happens become a little angry with God and shake their fist at Him, and and even some of the some of the saints that we can read about that are canonized. Did did you ever go through any of that? Honestly, not that much. No, um, I it, it was it was. Um, I didn't really get angry with God. I was I was honestly more thankful to God. I kept going back to me laying on my my back deck um and feeling like oh God, I'm sorry. This is Marty, you know. <laughs> I know you know me. I don't really know you, but please help me. I and and so um I guess uh I had uh I never really got that upset with with God about it. Um I was upset with all kinds of other things. Um, but, um, you know, the, uh, you, you start to get your identity from what you do as, as your occupation and things like that. And, and of course that isn't where our true identity comes from. It comes from being, you know, a, a beloved child of God. And, uh, I had seen a glimpse of that, uh, before, before all of this. And that's what, um, that's what helped me and my wife, uh, uh get through all of this. So it was, um. It was very interesting, and my my parish priest at the time was was very very helpful. Uh, Monsignor Zach was uh, a very good guy, and he he was you know I asked him about you know what can I do to help, and he was oh thank you thank you we can do this we can do this we can do this, and so all of a sudden it went from kind of a an empty plate to a very full platter of of uh, 
things to do. You you learned very quickly that uh, if you don't want to be busy, you don't volunteer at church. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, but uh, yep. But it's but it, as I said, it's been a blessing for for me personally and for and for my family, and and hopefully it's blessed uh, some of the people at the parish. But uh, but it's definitely blessed myself and my family. As a blessing to your family, it must have been difficult on your wife and children when this happened to you. It was. It was. Um, you know, uh, to a certain extent, uh, I was very, um, oh, I guess, self-absorbed into it. I didn't. I didn't really notice that much on them because for a while it looked like I was going to be able to come back, and so I was finding temporary dentists and. And then uh, there was, uh, um, you know, trying to find a potential buyer and, and all this other kind of stuff. So I was still very much into, into um, oh, I don't know, the, uh, that, that view of, of, the, of the accident and of what was going to be my new life more so than how is this affecting my, my kids and whatnot. But, um, but you know, it, it, has, it has been, I would say, even for them, you know, in that I'm able to work around other schedules. I don't have necessarily that set of hours, and so it's, it's, uh, it's freed me up to be at a lot of things that I would have never been able to be at otherwise. At this, at this time, uh, you were telling me that you work full-time for the church. Was that a gradual transition, or did that happen quite quickly? It happened quite quickly quite quickly. Um, we, um, we started up a, a high school youth group. We used the Life Teen program for the first couple of years, or several years, actually. Um, and we've been doing it now. My wife and I did it together. I mean, that's kind of, an, again, another blessing in my, in my life by God is, you know, all of these things at the church are really, it's, it's, you don't just get me, you kind of get me and my wife. And a lot of times you get me and my wife and all of my kids. So uh, we work together on so much of this. It, it, it's, a great, um, it's a great experience. So uh, my wife and I have done uh, the youth group now. I think this is coming up on our 16th year of leading the high school youth group. Um, and that's been a great thing. When we started it, my oldest daughter was still too young, so we hired a babysitter to help out with all of the other volunteers. Um, the other adult volunteers taking care of their children also. And so, and, and that's an interesting thing. I mean, our youth group has gone through much growth and change at different times. At one period, of, we started out with, you know, 10 kids, maybe. Um, and then within five years, uh, we meet on Wednesday night. Um, within five years, we had over 100 kids uh, every Wednesday night. Um, and then uh, we were at a different building at that time, and different things have happened, and we've, uh, we've moved confirmation from 10th grade to 3rd grade, and so now we have a, a, a smaller uh, a high school youth group, but we still usually have between 30 and, and 40, 45 kids. So it's, uh, it's still a healthy thing, and it's a, a still hopefully fulfilling for them and, and challenging. Um, I love working with the, the, the teens. Um, I have found personally, and I taught high school also, so I enjoy that age group. They want to know the truth. They really do, but, but, and because they don't hear it very often. I mean, in, our, in today's society, the truth is often um, well hidden, put it that way, or, or covered up by many, many, many uh, uh, half-truths. 
Um, but they want to know the truth, but you have to be able to explain it um, in an effective way. And, uh, and I enjoy that because uh, I do that with myself. Like if I read something, I, I use uh, um, analogies all the time. I try to create an analogy for myself that makes it makes sense in my own mind. And, and, and so I challenge myself to do that all the time. So sharing those with the teens, I enjoy doing it. And if they don't, if they don't believe you, they don't have a problem saying, that doesn't make sense. That's true. What about this? And I, I love that. Uh, someone once uh, mentioned to me that the difference between a whole truth and a half truth is like the difference between a full brick and a half a brick. You can throw it farther. <laughs> true, true. Yep. You, with 30 ch- uh, young people in your youth group, that sounds fairly large. How large is Sacred Heart Parish? It, uh, is, it's, it's not huge, like two, 3,000 families, is it? No, it's not. Um, we are actually, though, and this was uh, kind of surprising for me. I guess I learned this about a year ago. We are, I think, the third largest parish in the Tyler Diocese. Oh. Um, and the Tyler Diocese was uh, formed, I guess, about 30 years ago. Part of the Dallas Diocese, part yes. of the Houston Diocese, and part of the Beaumont Diocese were all put together. So we're very large geographically, um, but um, and we have, I think, 60 or 65 um, parishes in the diocese, spread all out. And, uh, but we have about 1,000 registered families. That's quite a few, though. Yes, and it's grown, it's grown quite a bit since I have been, uh, been more active at the, at the parish. You were mentioning to me when we talked uh, several weeks ago about your vacation Bible school, and I think that is really amazing. Uh, could you just give us about uh, 30, 45 seconds on that? Because I would like to talk a little bit about your involvement with Catholic Radio there in Palestine. Okay. Um, Yes, uh, we got into Vacation Bible School um, when I said we, my wife and I and my family, um, and we have all worked on it every year um, about, I guess, 10 years ago. And we came up with the idea of having the teens do all of the teaching. So we start with basically a blank sheet of paper, and we write out, we ask the teens, what do you think we should be teaching the little kids? And we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll take our brainstorm ideas, and then we'll pick one of those ideas, and then we'll say, okay, let's find some Bible stories that will help us teach that. Let's find some, we have a thing we call Catholic Connection. Um, sometimes it's about saints. Sometimes it's about, uh, this year it was the, the seven deadly sins and the seven lively virtues. Um, all these different ways that we can try to teach the kids. Uh, the little kids. So we have what we call Vacation Bible School Prep Week, and this year we were blessed to have about 100 teenagers every night for four hours, and um, we talked about VBS, and it's kind of like a mini retreat for the teenagers. And we make the decorations, and we practice the skit, and we practice the teachings and all that kind of stuff, and learn the music and the silly dance moves to the songs and all that kind of stuff. And then the following week, actually, Vacation Bible School starts. And how many, uh, how many uh, campers did you have in this thing? Or... We have, usually we have right around, oh, I don't know, 190 to 225 campers. Sounds like a pretty successful camp, uh, Vacation Bible School. I'm sure that 
some people are salivating right now, wishing that they could have one that that's that is that well, successful. It, it really is amazing. It is a ton of fun. It's it is it is a whirlwind to say the least. So we have a you're right. We have about three hundred. Three, possibly 325 teens and campers there. Okay. And we have about oh, 25 adults there um, as, you know, as supervisors, just keeping, keeping track of things. And all of this is done with great support, you know, from our, par- from our priests and from the parish and, and from our adult volunteers and all that, and the kids themselves. It really is amazing that, that we have that many teens who are willing to give up, you know, four hours a night for two weeks straight. Let's talk a little bit now about how Catholic Radio came to Palestine, because uh, you were telling me it was a long journey, and uh, you were probably the last man standing when a volunteer was asked for. <laughs> that, that's kind of true. I heard, uh, I heard someone once say that, uh, you know, God got to the bottom of the barrel, and there I was. <laughs> he said, okay, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll equip, equip you to do this. We had um, someone in the parish had received a um, oh, a communication that we had received a building permit to have build a radio station. And, and so anyway, that kind of went through all different types of, of, uh, of uh, variations and whatnot. And finally, I was asked to get involved with it right before the construction permit expired. And um, so we tried to, you know, this person had kind of taken the football all the way down to the 10-yard line, but it was you know, fourth and ten, and the ball was on the ten yard line, and we didn't get it. We didn't get it in, um, and so uh, we lost our construction permit. And then, uh, by the grace of God, all of a sudden, it was uh, available to sign up for another low power FM uh, FCC permit, and so uh, we did. And we were blessed to get one again. I honestly didn't think we would, since we had gotten one and let it expire. I thought, well, there's no way they're going to give us another. But they did, and uh, so we started working with that, and, and Monsignor Zach was uh, a, a, a big proponent of that. He wanted to have Catholic Radio, and he wanted to make sure that it was, you know, our, our, our parish population is, is uh, you know, mixed language, Spanish and English, and he said, you know, I want to make sure that it's, it plays both Spanish and English, and, and so... We started working on it and working on it, and time was ticking, and, and it was like, oh, my gosh, this is way harder than anybody thought. Uh, Father Zach had asked some people who he, I think, would, hoped would pick up the ball and run with it, and it kind of wound up getting down to me, and he says, hey, Marty, will you do this? And I said, well, I don't know anything about radio, but I will try. Sounds like Dennis so, Maka. That's that's true, very true. I never knew that about Dennis until after we had already uh, started all of this. But uh, and it was funny because I had I had uh, we had the radio station kept popping up on my radar every once in a while, and I think I've got to do something or else this is going to expire again. And and then truly a blessing of God, all of a sudden out of the blue, I get a phone call, you know, on my uh, cell phone from a number I don't recognize, and I answer it, and it is Dennis, and Dennis is introducing himself, and, and I don't know how he knew. He said, you have a low-power FM construction permit that's getting ready to expire. <laughs> I was like, yes, I know. And he said, is there anything I can do? And I said, man, you can do anything. Anything you're willing to do uh, would be a tremendous blessing. And so that started a, a great relationship and a friendship with Dennis. And Dennis came up to our parish and met with our new pastor and uh, has has 
I was going to say held our hand. That's not even true. We have held on to his coattails as he has helped us so immensely getting the radio station up and going. And uh, now the, the, it's going here, 24-hour station. It's English all day long and Spanish at night and all day uh, Saturday. And um, it's a great, it's a great, great thing. Um, I was kind of doing it um, because I was, my pastor had asked me to, and then I happened to be driving through Amarillo, and I caught a, a Catholic radio station up there and listened to it from the western uh, edge of the broadcast uh, range all the way to the eastern edge of it, and I thought, you know, that's really good. I enjoyed that. So that kind of uh, put some... Uh, uh, some uh, fire under my uh, my rear end to help uh, help Dennis get this going, and so we did, and and it was it's been a, a great thing. Was it a lengthy process then to get the station up and running? It was honestly, I kind of. Once Dennis became involved, it started to happen at a much quicker rate, um, which is great. Uh, we uh, we wound up, um, you know. We, Again, I had no idea how big of a tower this was going to be, you know, all this other kind of stuff. The original permit was to have it at the church. Then people were saying, oh, we shouldn't have it at the church. It's going to, you know, the tower is going to be ugly or this, that, or the other thing. And so anyway, we wound up moving it to uh, the Knights of Columbus Hall has our cemetery, St. Joseph Cemetery. And we thought, well, we can put it out there in the cemetery. And then Dennis said, you know, where are you going to put all of your equipment? And I had no idea how much equipment there was going to be that was going to be involved. Um, And so then we wound up having to, so we asked the FCC to move it to the St. Joseph Cemetery. Then we asked the FCC to move it to the actual Knights of Columbus Hall. They, they were more than, than willing to have us uh, give us a, a room in the Knights of Columbus Hall. That is now, I guess, our radio station. And uh, our antenna sticks up through the roof of the Knights of Columbus building. And um, we had a couple of volunteers uh, help do that and build actually our, our, uh, our pole that our antenna sits on. And Dennis came up and had done a ton of work putting together our, our uh, equipment and was there in the installation. And we put the antenna on the pole and put the pole on the inside of the building. And, and lo and behold, after much many, many hours of of hard work, honestly, mostly by Dennis, um, we're up and going. Well, Deacon Marty, this is Dennis, and we uh, have pictures on our website if people want to see the installation, but we're down to the last 15 seconds of our show, so. What, I I really appreciate your being here, Marty. Uh, I wish I had another hour, hour and a half to talk <laughs> with you. Uh, I really do appreciate it and all of your enthusiasm that you have and, and how you've told people that they can overcome adversity. I, yep. And I thank you so much for being my guest today. And people can uh, get uh, contact you through Sacred Heart Church or through Red Sea Radio. That's right. And and I mean honestly, as as you know, the the thing that I have I am still learning, and the more I learn it, the more joy I have is how much God loves each and every one of us. Thank you so much again, Marty. This is Gene Wilhelm, and you've been listening to Red Sea Roundup. Remember, when choosing between the values of heaven. And the values of Earth always round up.